Are my dogs going to stop barking in the background in time for this Electrum Performance ad? Ladies and gentlemen, are you ready for the thickest, meanest, leanest, smartest men in grappling to teach you how to squat, do a bicep curl, and lift? Do you want to get that girl? Do you want to get that job? Do you want to marginally improve your attractiveness? Do you want to improve your physical health? Then, open GuardCast25 is the discount code you can use today to fix your life and fix your gains. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen. So, uh, my name is Jake Watson. I don't know who that guy was. I am joined by Danny O'Donnell. That was not Hulk Hogan, brother. (laughs) That was uh, Jake Watson's alter ego. Shake Weight Watson. Uh, <laughs> I am joined by Connor Donaldson, black belt from where in California? Roner Park, California. Roner Park, California. And yep. he is bursting onto the scene, right? Unfortunately, COVID stopped everything. COVID was like, yo, no more tournaments. But then Third Coast fight to win, and Jits King said, uh, psych, we're still going to have tournaments. <laughs> And I am lobbying hard to get Connor Donaldson on some shows because me and him have had some uh, matches ourselves in the past. And I am just like, man, I want to see Connor get some fights. I want to see Connor get out there because I know that he has a vast mission game. But he joins us today for the 39th edition of the Open Guard cast. Connor, how are you on this fine day? I'm doing great. How about yourself? Doing fantastic, man. I just gave the best election performance ad I've ever given in my life. It's like I actually just took steroids. It's like I actually just for your voice with positivity. Dude, for sure. Yeah. If, if people looked at me after that voice, they'd be like, that's not the guy who did that voice. For sure. Like this guy is six foot three, 140 pounds. I'm not 140 pounds. That's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, man, thank you for joining us. We're so excited. Um, we have a lot to go over, especially, I mean, you have a gym that you're opening up. Uh, yeah. You have your own competitive aspirations. We got stories and tales and uh first of all i want to ask because we we didn't get a chance to go over this i think last episode with alex turner how old do you think first of all i am well i remember you're younger than me yes. so i believe you're 24 22 actually 22 wow yes way younger than me so that means that you're 26 right i am 25 25 all right yes how do you think how old do you think danny o'donnell is oh uh he looks young great skin good (laughs) hairline um i'm gonna go with 21 (laughs) yeah i think that was the second week in a row we got 21 is that right jake yeah (laughs) ow jake's coughing yes my goodness laughing yes Sorry, it made me laugh so hard that I started coughing. How old are you, Danny? You're off by 10 years, and I'm not 11. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, my gosh. Well, you got great genetics. Uh, say thank you to your mom and dad for, for having those great genes. <laughs> Open Garcast fans thank us every single week for how beautiful Danny O'Donnell is. <laughs> yeah, I get so much mail that I don't tell them about. Literally, my P, they don't even know my P.O. box, and I get letters, written letters from male fans and female fans alike it's incredible um i appreciate the guess 21 that was great that was the fact that you thought he was younger than me makes you laugh because it's like everybody thinks that we're like the like the spectrum has to be i'm older than danny just because i have a tattoo and i have like this 
facial hair marginally and i'm tall <laughs> and all but they're like oh yeah danny's got to be like 21 years old right like man it's so cool that you got a kid to help you out with your podcast man. <laughs> yeah <laughs> young intern. I'm like, it's actually quite the opposite me and it's danny a are a team youth yeah right <laughs> but dude tell us first of all how you even got started in jiu-jitsu in the first place so i started out in jiu-jitsu by wanting to be uh, an mma fighter uh, after seven years of gymnastics, I was like, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm done with gymnastics. I had done all that I could have. It was time to either quit gymnastics or go to college through gymnastics. And the only two gymnastics programs here in California are Stanford and Berkeley. And those are, you know, tough schools to get into. Yeah. So I figured, all right, well, uh, I'll become a MMA fighter. And my mom suggested, well, why don't you uh, stick to one martial art, martial art first, and then from there, uh, see if you like it, and then, you know, try different martial arts. And so I, I went to jiu-jitsu first, uh, fell in love, uh, gave boxing a try while also doing jiu-jitsu, and I just stuck with jiu-jitsu. And I was like, forget this MMA stuff, I'm, I'm grappling for life. You know, did you ever compete in boxing? No, no. Uh, when I started jujitsu and boxing, I was 17 and uh, it was just for six months. Uh, I was all right. Nothing amazing, but I definitely was uh, excelled at jujitsu way farther. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And I remember uh, me and you have had a couple matches where I just realized, dude, this guy is incredibly flexible. Uh, I don't like trying to pass his guard because it just kind of <laughs> doesn't work. Um, when your hips can just kind of pop out of socket and become and have minds of their own and your legs yeah. are just over here and your legs over here. I've seen matches with you and Ronaldo. I mean, I've had, I've, I've had matches with yeah. you myself and it's just like, I feel like me and me and Ronaldo had this in common. We both were like, kind of, what do we do? <laughs> Where do we go from here? This is not a guard that I'm used to. And now being able to connect the dots between, oh, he did gymnastics is really helpful. And dude, like the reason I ask about why did you compete? Or, or not why did you compete did you ever compete in boxing is like we're used to the amateur jiu-jitsu scene we're used to the professional jiu-jitsu scene mm -hmm. dude the amateur boxing scene is nuts it is a wild like it's like the wild wild west of fighting like you literally just kind of show up there's kind there's sometimes the weigh-in is literally just like you go to a place and there's a scale on the floor and you sign your name and you weigh in and you go home and you don't even know who your opponent wow. is you don't even see him you're just like, all right, just go away in next day, fight somebody. And then you go in and then you, you have to have a, a tank top and shorts that are a certain length, but they don't necessarily have to be boxing shorts. Uh, they have to have po no pockets. You have to be wearing wrestling shoes at least. And then it's just three rounds. And then you go, you get your little USA boxing book sign. It kind of looks like a passport book. And mm -hmm. then you go home. There's no like, there's no like official any. There, it's just like it's about as casual a fight scene as it gets. It's really, it's really some. <clears throat> but yeah, like, I, I feel like jiu-jitsu civilized. Yeah. <laughs> I never, Not to say uh, boxing isn't. That's that's rude, but <laughs> you get my point. Yeah, I never participated in any uh, boxing events, uh, just because I, I didn't get like getting punched in the nose, as you see. You know, I have a pretty good sized nose and uh, I didn't like getting hit there. So uh, that's what really deterred me from uh, joining boxing. He gave with a left hook only in the nose. Yeah. <laughs> knock it, knock it right off like a Mr. Potato Head or something. Have you ever broken your nose before? Uh, I did actually in, uh, in jujitsu, you know, 
I, I don't do boxing, so it doesn't get broken, and I end mm-hmm. up getting it broken anyways. Um, some guy just, you know, around and just me right in the nose, and uh, it didn't feel good, but obviously didn't stop me from uh, continued training. Did, was it a displaced nasal fracture, the guy that punched you, or? No, it was actually his, uh, his heel, his, his foot came came across. Kind of bent to the side a little bit, but nothing too bad. I didn't have to have surgery or anything, mm-hmm. but uh, it's not as straight as it used to be. I don't know if you could tell. Yes, I didn't want to make a huge comment. It's not like Owen Wilson, <laughs> but it's like yeah. I noticed. I was like, because you said that you you made the nose comment and you turned it back. And I was like, oh, did he ever break it? Because I've actually broke my nose, too. But it was a non-displaced nasal fracture, so it was just a big huh. crack over it, and it was super puffy and swollen. And then, but I went to the doctor, and they were like, did an X-ray, and they're like, yeah, it's it's not out of place. So you kind of just gotta wait. I'm like, that sucks. I was like, <laughs> yeah, because I just gotta like not breathe well for the next month. But uh, yeah, no breaking. Your, have you ever broken your nose, Danny? I have not. Don't. Sucks. <laughs> not a fun yeah. time. That might make me look older if I broke my nose. Got a crooked yeah. nose. Like, wow, that put 10 years on you, actually. (laughs) (laughs) So do you feel like all the attributes you developed in gymnastics, like Jake mentioned, you're super flexible, you have, like, good agility Mm -hmm. and balance and stuff like that. Do you feel like that's kind of what pushed you more towards jiu-jitsu? Because, like, in boxing, like, I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure there's elements of, like, having good shoulder mobility and stuff like that. But your attributes that you developed in gymnastics really transferred jiu-jitsu really well. Do you think that was part of what made you like jiu-jitsu so much? Uh, I definitely think uh, that's what helped me stick with jujitsu was because like on the very first day, you know, we uh, we have our warm up and we're doing our warm up and then we go into stretching and everybody's kind of looking at me like doing my stretching and expecting me to be not be flexible because it's my first day. And, you know, I bust into the splits or, you know, I I do something super flexible. And that was kind (laughs) of nice to be like, well, I kind of already have a leg up on some of these people. Um in that I have flexibility. Of course they all, you know, beat me up because I I was a white belt back then, but, uh, it was good knowing that, Hey, you know, I, I did stuff. I did gymnastics for seven years and now I get to put it towards something else. It just doesn't go away and disappear, you know? So that was very, uh, very helpful and useful. You ever look back on old videos of yourself as a white belt? Oh yeah. Uh, I recently just, uh, downloaded a whole bunch of videos from like my dad's phone and my dad's computer. Bell. And, and I don't think they had too many white belt matches recorded, but definitely a lot of blue belt stuff. And I was just like, oh, and enough. Done this, done that, you know, all that silly stuff. Uh, so I, here's my experience, right? Danny, I actually want to hear yours too. I really want to hear your experience too, Danny. So my first tournament. My fr- me first? Yes. All right, cool, cool, cool. My first <laughs> tournament, I was eight years old, right? I'm a white belt. I am very, very skinny. I'm like I'm like 5'4", and I'm like 100 pounds, maybe. No. 5'4", no, maybe like 89, 90 pounds. And I go to this tournament. I fight this kid named Jacob Swift, right? I remember because it was a pretty sick name, but he's a wrestler. <laughs> And I go for a judo throw first minute of the match. But here's the thing. Before the match, I was I went to the crowd. I flexed. And I didn't even have oh, like, it. Awesome. It was two triceps. It was two wrist bones. <laughs> Just my two radiuses right on top of each other. I was not strong. But I was so confident. I went and I tried a judo throw that I didn't know how to do. 
and I got suplexed. Literally, like, this kid picked me up and 12 to 6 suplexed me on oh, my no. head and armbarred me in 14 seconds. So I quit. I quit jiu-jitsu. But uh, looking back on that video that my parents still have is insane. And I kind of want to post it. I kind of want to, like, take the video, screen record it, and post it because it's just so ridiculous. Like, <laughs> it's so it's so vastly far away from my character now and my skill set now, to be honest. <laughs> I have not been suplexed since, actually. But, uh, Danny, how, how is yours better or worse than mine? My first jiu-jitsu experience? First yes. tournament experience? Yes. So I... I started jiu-jitsu much, much later than you guys. I was in my early 20s. But I remember I went to my first tournament, and uh, it was just like some small local tournament. But I was the first match of the whole day. So, like, all these people were watching me, and I have no experience in jiu-jitsu. So it was super nerve-wracking. And uh, I remember my cousin – I didn't know pretty much anything from top. But my cousin was like, just try to tackle these guys and take them down. So the first match, I actually won on takedowns, which, like, I never do. And then the second match, I took the guy down, and he was, like, really flexible, like Connor, and he triangled me. Get your first yeah. lesson? Yes. Connor's a big fan of triangles. How was your, how was your very first tournament experience, Connor? Um, I believe it was in Santa Cruz, California. It was through the uh, affiliation uh, BJJ Tour. Are you guys familiar with that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, yep. I think they've had a couple out in Arizona. And I think it was like their USA Open or their America's Cup or something out there in uh, Santa Cruz or San Jose. And I went and I'd been familiar with competing uh, through gymnastics. And so when I went, I actually didn't have any coach. Um, the professor at the time wasn't like into going and coaching people. So unfortunately, it was just like me and my parents and, and they didn't know what, you know, what to say or what to do because they hadn't done jujitsu. But I just went there and was like, you know, I'm just going to kind of do what I did in practice. I I think I ended up losing like 0-2 on a sweep or something like that. And I was just like so devastated and disappointed because I thought like, oh, man, I'm going to come in and do well, you know, hopefully get on the podium. I didn't think I was going to get first, but, you know, get on the podium. And I was just so disappointed. Uh, but, you know, I think matches like that help you help you grow as long as you come back and you, and you keep on trying and and don't quit. <clears throat> why well, I, I did quit but it only lasted 30 minutes. <laughs> yeah I, I totally quit i went i got uh <laughs> went back to my car my dad was like all right well that didn't go so well and i was like i quit i don't ever want to do this again and he was like well okay that that's kind of you're kind of jumping to conclusions and then when i got home i was already thinking about what next tournament there was so really it didn't last but uh yeah no i that, that was the worst day ever my you guys had a way more gratifying and learn from experience. My, my experience was, I hate this and then I <laughs> glad I stuck with it, but man, that was a, a worst day ever. So I kind of want to go back to some of the gymnastics stuff. Cause it's such like a unique and interesting background. Do you do yeah. like a strength and conditioning program right now, along with your jujitsu training? So when I was in gymnastics, we had this strength coach that taught us a lot of just using your body weight. I mean, we would use weights too, but when you're in a gymnastics, gym you don't really have weights just hanging around you have a lot of equipment and so you're able to use that equipment to then you know do pull-ups do um uh, press handstands do dips you know on the parallel bars and so that's where i get most of my conditioning even to this day is just a lot of using my own body um to do push-ups pull-ups and stuff like that and you know uh, obviously with this covid outbreak i haven't been able to go to the gym 
but uh, I'll also incorporate using machines, weights, and stuff like that into my strength and conditioning. Yeah, that was exactly what I was going to get into is like what from your gymnastic ex- experience do you feel like you've been able to transfer over to help you with jujitsu, like in terms of your conditioning and the stuff you do off the mat. So that's really interesting. Do you feel like you get uh, just as much of a benefit from like the body weight stuff as you do from using weights? Uh, for me personally, yes. Uh, I don't think that's how it goes for everybody. I think everybody needs to take a personalized approach to how they condition and strengthen themselves. Um, but for me, I think using my own body weight is uh, the best for me. And I, of course, supplement that with using weights. But uh, most of the time, it's just using my body weight. Uh, and of course, you know, stretching is is a huge part of my regimen and my, my game that I implement into jujitsu. Yeah, I feel like... Uh... I mean, I get so pumped up about the election performance ad uh, because they are. I really, I love, I love lifting. Yeah, weights. they're incredible too. Have you, have you been like, man, like this pandemic has affected everybody. It's really affected me as well with like the whole weightlifting and having to find gyms. How is the gym like, like, in in that part of California, are gyms mm-hmm. open? Uh, no. So there's no indoor activity. So any gym that's open right now they're having to drag their equipment out into the outside of their like parking lot or something like that. And that can be, uh, that can be pretty tough to try to get people to work out in the, uh, hot Northern California sun. So I think gyms are hit particularly hard during this time here in, you know, Northern California and Arizona and any place that is closed down like we are. Man. So one of the things that uh, we actually had to kind of redo some of this recording, so we apologize to Connor, but um, one of the things we talked about when we first started recording was that you're opening a new uh, Gracie Baja Academy. So you announced it like during the COVID pandemic, which had, I'm sure, tons of challenges, but do you kind of want to talk about like maybe your goals for the academy and like how long you've known that you wanted to open up a school? So I knew around like Blue Belt that I wanted to, so I, w- I would have been, as a blue belt, I would have been going into junior college or, sorry, community college um, at that time. And I knew that uh, I was going to be taking business classes and I was taking them for one or two, one of two reasons, either to become, you know, uh, an accountant or something like that, or become a financial advisor or something, uh, or open up my own business. And I thought, well, you know, I'm pretty good at this jujitsu stuff. You know, I'm still a blue belt, but, uh, you know, I'm just going to have it in the back of my head. And by purple belt, brown belt, I definitely knew that that's where I wanted to go was open up an academy. And so uh, from from there on, it was just like, all right, that's what I'm going to be doing. That's what I'm going to school for, for. So with every class I took, it was just mostly how does this apply to opening up my business? How does this apply to opening up my academy? And I knew that I wanted to eventually bring it back up here to Northern California because you have these amazing schools in the Bay Area, like uh, Coyotera. You have some, you know, there was a Gracie Ba up here. You have some Claudia Franza schools up here in uh, Santa Cruz, San Jose. But there wasn't really too much going on in the Northern Bay Area, my my hometown of Roner Park, my home uh, county of Sonoma County. And so I thought, man, I really want to bring a competitive gym up here. And so that was my intention in uh, opening up a school. So I'm guessing that you've probably been to like, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but have you been to a lot of uh, Gracie Baja schools like all over the country? So or at least I've, all over California. 
Yeah, so I started training uh, at the Gracie Baja in Rotor Park, uh, moved down to Gracie Baja Long Beach with Rodrigo Gusto. Um, I trained pretty extensively at the headquarters with Philippe de la Monica also, um, trained with Octavio in Huntington Beach. Um, I, yeah, so I've been to uh, a few gyms, but I, I definitely haven't done like the circuit where, you know, you hit all the different ones in Orange yeah. County and stuff like that. Yeah. But uh, I was, I was because the gyms were, that I did train at, which are Long Beach and headquarters, a lot of people come through. So anytime there was Pans Camp or World's Camp, because, you know, that's where it was, Irvine and Long Beach, a lot of people would come through and train. So I was able to train with guys from Australia, guys from Arizona, guys from Texas, you know, everywhere. Everybody would come through the Long Beach and headquarters and stuff. So I've, I've been able to share the mats with a ton of people. So do you feel like that experience of like being able to see all these different Gracie Baja academies and seeing all these different students come in and come out, um, do you feel like that kind of influence your decision to want to open up a school like seeing how the business was run having like experience at different academies and just seeing that like maybe it was like a possibility after you saw how the academies were being run so every time i went to an academy uh or even just talked to the professors i always went with like you know questions ready and stuff like that just because i knew that the, this is what i wanted to do and I actually had some some great talks with Flavio, his brother, Andre Almeida, um, had a great talk with Gabriel Arges, just about like how how they came into opening up their academy. What were some of the struggles? Uh, what were some of the rewarding parts of opening up an academy? You know, what would you do differently? Just stuff like that. And uh, I'm very grateful that Gracie Baja, Gracie Baja has this huge network of school owners and professors that are willing to not only willing to like help out, but also just like extend themselves and be like, hey, if you need, you know, a question answered or if you need some marketing uh, materials, I, I got you and stuff like that. So uh, that's been very helpful. Stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like having that like network, even even for like the business side of it, is probably even more important. Like you have all mm -hmm. these high level black belts who you can train with and learn from, like technically, but then they're also like really really accomplished business owners. So like you said, if you need like help with marketing or have questions about like I'm sure like the software or whatever, they're able to help. So was that something too that was like kind of eased some of the anxiety about opening an academy? Definitely, because like you know if. If I just opened up, you know, Connor Donaldson Jiu-Jitsu or something, uh, there is no re name recognition. There is no like, like, who's this Connor Donaldson? Why should I train with him? When you open up a Gracie Baja, it's like founded in history. It has a huge lineage. People recognize the Gracie name. So and, and not only that, but like you said, you have this huge network of everybody wants you to succeed. Nobody in, yeah. in, in Gracie Baja is looking for you to fail because if you succeed, that's just bringing more to the table kind of thing. So everybody's kind of helping you out and it's been very helpful. Do you have to make any, do you feel like um, you'll still be able to compete as much as you want to running the academy? So that was something that I had to come to terms with is knowing that at least within like the first year or two that I'm going to definitely have to put um, that on hold. Or at least the traveling part, you know, going to Europeans or, you know, going to the East Coast to travel and stuff like that. The farther out ones, that would take, a, you know, a whole weekend or a three-day weekend out of my time. Just because that would be time away from my students, 
which wouldn't be fair because, you know, they pay to train and uh, they, they deserve, you know, what they pay for. But uh, I, I believe that I'm going to still be able to do local tournaments, uh, train, you know, train with my girlfriend, Natalie Van Hammersveld, train with some students that, you know, are, are around in upper belts and stuff like that. So I don't think my, my competition days are over, but they're definitely going to have to be put on hold for just a minute. And you, we did go over the UR25, so you do have time. Oh, time yeah. on your side. You're not even close to your prime. So this is definitely a I mean, it's really it's it's nice to know because I do know you personally that you're a very good person. So it's good to know that there's still great people opening schools and academies. So all in good time, you'll be able to go out and win Black World yeah. Championship as well. Yeah. And, and being able to watch people like uh, Cyborg, who's uh, I believe he just had his 40th birthday. He has his uh, amazing academy fight sports out there in Miami, and he's still able to kill it in these competitions. Um, Rodrigo Freitas has his academy in uh, Manhattan Beach, I believe. He's uh, a little up there in age, I believe, in his 30s, I believe. And he's able to compete and, and do awesome. So it's like I kind of look up to these guys and go, man, that's what I want. You know, I don't want to be the guy who's like, oh, well, you know, I opened up my academy. I'm all done. You know, I want to be able to still compete and uh, go to the competition with my students, be able to coach them, go out, compete, come back and coach them again. That's the dream. Yeah. If there's one thing I can learn from Cyborg is that there is no age old, too old to put your hands around someone's throat with one <laughs> hand and choke them. Yeah. You are never too old to do that. That's out of context. That is a nightmare. Sorry. That, that is all out of context nightmare. I should not have said that. Or maybe That's now funny. it's out of context. Who knows? <laughs> so did I you have. <laughs> Sorry. So did you have uh, any teaching experience prior to um, opening the academy? Like, were you teaching at some of the other Gracie Baja locations? Yeah. So when I started at the the Gracie Baja up here in Northern California, I believe I started teaching as like a three stripe white belt, just helping out, you know, assistant teaching with the kids and stuff like that. Um, essentially, just to have more mat time. Mm -hmm. um, and then as I, w I went down to uh, Long Beach as a two-stripe blue belt, that's where I started teaching uh, more adult assistant teaching. Rodrigo was able to give me a little bit more experience with having uh, some of my own classes. Like I taught my own class on, you know, Friday nights and, and Sunday and stuff like that. And so that was some really great experience that I was able to get through Gracie Baja Long Beach. So I think that's cool that you were able to already kind of have that experience of like being able to teach and compete at the same time. Like you weren't doing mm -hmm. it full time, but you were also probably in college at that time. So you're balancing yep. a lot of different things. So hopefully I'm, I'm sure that'll definitely assist you when, you know, you're trying to make those tough decisions between competing and putting time into your students. So like you already have experience balancing that type of stuff. Yeah. And, uh, during my college time, I was, you know, I was going to college. Uh, I kept a full time. I believe it's 12 units or 15 units because um, I wanted to get out of there in and out in four years, you know, get my degree. I was mm -hmm. able to get a part time job also and then, you know, maintain the training and stuff like that. I, I felt like I wanted to do that so that when I was able to own my own academy, I, I didn't rely on just focusing on just one thing it's like i was so used to having uh so much on my plate that when it came time to have that really be important and other people's jujitsu take into consideration like i was already and i was good it's like man i've already done this I i'm here for you guys kind of thing
Mm. That's awesome. So you mentioned that like it's like a big benefit to like have Gracie Baja as like the, an, as a name recognition that type of value like for marketing mm-hmm. purposes and stuff like that. But you're also a really accomplished competitor yourself, so people I'm sure are going to want to learn from you. But what do you feel like are some of the like the biggest accomplishments um, competitively that you've had in jujitsu so far? So competitively in jujitsu, I would say, uh, you know, blue belt, purple belt, brown belt. Uh, I was able to achieve uh, meddling at Pan Ams. And of course, I believe it was my last Pan Ams as brown belt, uh, my second Pan Ams. I was able to get actually second. So that was pretty cool. And then uh, also competing over in Abu Dhabi. Uh, I was able to get the ticket over there through the last time they did the trials. Now they're doing like the the points, I believe. And mm-hmm. so the last time they had the trials, I believe Jake was at that tournament also. Um down in Azusa, I, I think. Purple Belt, right? Yes, Purple Belt. Yeah, I lost to Julian yeah. Vanderlinden. Y- yeah, from Gracie Baja. In the final of the yes. Absolute before I could get the ticket. Yes, and uh, <sighs> I was, I was, <laughs> sorry, Jake, didn't mean Thanks to rehash. Thanks for reminding me. <laughs> I was, I was able to get the ticket and go over, and I actually ended up getting second at that tournament over there in Abu Dhabi. Um, and I was actually like a, a little under the weather. I think <clears> some <throat> of us Gracie Baja guys ate something bad at the hotel or something and uh we we were having the runs like we were not feeling good we were up the night before and so that actually ended up taking a lot of pressure off my shoulders because i was like you know if i lose I, I was sick like i'm just sick um if i you know do well great so i think that actually helped in taking off some of the pressure so also, that was you had a uh, a crazy performance at the long beach open in 2017 Man, you, you oh, fought yes. in the finals of the open. You fought a a freaking monster. Yes, like I, I, I was so. there, and you fought <laughs> just a, a like I, probably the handsomest man I've ever laid eyes on. Which and is I don't yeah, know how he was not on steroids. Like they tested him and name. he wasn't, but <laughs> yeah. What was his name again? Uh, his name was me. Oh, oh Jake <laughs> Watson. That's right. I was lying about everything. I was there. I lost. <laughs> <laughs> that yeah, was no, that was that the. Was, the fourth awesome time match. we met up, actually, uh, I had lost the three prior matches to Jake, and I was able to get uh, one win in right at the, right there at the end. So, uh, you know, for for context, Let's... ladies and gentlemen, it was a awesome match, and Connor it fought was. a super awesome game plan. He swept me at the very beginning of the match, and I never got those two points back. I was like, dude, because I made the uh, I made the mistake of coming up and like allowing you to pull guard, and I was like, why did I do that? It's like, I was so dumb. Yeah. Like, I just, I didn't even sweep him back. I, we just, like, went out of bounds, and I should have pulled. But I went on top, and I was like, dude, this guy just finessed me. I was like, I think, no. I think what it was is you were coming up on a sweep, or, or you were coming up somehow. And I was in the process of getting swept, but then I attacked the back. And, of course, when you attack the back and you end up falling – they don't count it as a sweep they count it as like an attempt to take the back and i think that's what happened is i fell off the back ended up on the ground looked saw that two points were added and was like sweet i'm here where i want to be and Mm. uh from there on it was just about staying out of your footlocks because i believe that's how you've gotten me in the past uh i got right before the match with you i fought joan gabriel you did, yes. And I footlocked him in like 10 seconds because he's way shorter. I was like, I wonder if I can just grab his foot and just use my height. 
Yeah. Because I'm almost a foot taller than him. So I was like, I just grabbed his ankle and I just arched it as hard as I could and it worked. And I was like, oh my gosh, thank goodness. Because I saw him beat a friend of mine from Arizona. Like Gabriel Souza, right? Is that who it was? Yeah, Juan Gabriel Souza. Yeah. Yeah, that guy's awesome, by the way. He's a really cool dude. Um, yeah. But yeah, that guy's, he was murking everybody in the bracket. And I was like, dude. And then I saw you got to the final two. And I was like, oh, match with Connor. Yes, in the final. Of the yeah. Open. And, then I, and then I lost. And I was like, dang it. Sometimes you got to lose to your friends, dude. That's not cool. Yeah. It, it is cool, but it's like, I'd, I'd rather lose to you, who I respect and admire, than some, like, what if I met like somebody I didn't like? You know what I mean? I'd be like, oh, yeah. now I got to live with that for like in my head. But no, me and you literally like talked after. Like whatever, learn from yeah. each other and keep growing. Yeah, I don't. Oh, I don't ever take losses too hard. Um, just because I I know like how hard each of us put into c- competing. So you know, if I lose to Jake, it's like I know I lost to somebody who loves the sport as much as I do. Mm-hmm. You know, if I saw somebody just kind of not really care and just like kind of just step up to the mat and they still beat me, I'd be like, man. I would definitely take that harder. But at this level, at you know, at most upper belt levels, when you lose to somebody, you lose to somebody who has an equal passion for the sport. And that's why I, I don't take losses too, too difficult. Mm-hmm. For me, it's also about respect. Like, yeah, if mm-hmm. I respect you and you don't respect me and I didn't do anything to cause you to disrespect me and then I lose, I'm like, oh, man, like that is like that hurts yeah. because it's like, first of all, this guy doesn't like me for no reason. Second of all, now I like because I'm in the business of trying to make great relationships with people and friendships. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to, I'm trying to leave this sport better than I found it. And yeah. I'm trying to inspire, motivate and like, you know, rally everybody together to become better, to become one with each other. And then when that happens, I'm like, you don't get it. <laughs> Be my friend. Like yeah. I, I joke on the show all the time. I'm going to buy Hanaldo a beer one day. I'm going to make him drink a beer with me. He's going to have a beer with me. Like he's, he's, I'm going to make him smile. He's going to laugh at a joke. It's going to be awesome. Me and him are going to be friends one day. You will. You will. One day. So coming up like through the lower ranks, did you have any competitors that you like really admired or liked watching? Maybe it was like their style. They had a really flexible guard like you, and you tried to mimic them, something like that. Were there any competitors that you like really followed their career? I'm trying to think as a lower belt. There was, I I kind of like just watching jujitsu. I didn't really have mm-hmm. a, a fighter that I I really liked. Um, I kind of just liked everyone. I I know that seems very like diplomatic and very uh you know though he's just trying to get on everybody's good side. But I really just enjoyed watching jujitsu. Mm-hmm. Um, what I really gravitate to is the way people act. You know, like obviously yeah. watching uh watching Jake. You know, win or lose. Jake is always the the guy who will shake your hand after the mat uh, after mm-hmm. the match is done, and that's what I really like to watch uh, to see. Like when somebody you know doesn't shake the hands, when they when they pound the mat, when they scream and yell, they get frustrated, don't shake the referee or the you know the referee's hands. That's where I'm like, oh, you know, that, that's not how I would do it, and mm-hmm. and I tend not to try to get too close to those guys because you know obviously maybe they have a chip on their shoulder or something but i i like to gravitate to the people that you know are are very similar to people like jake and i who are just like hey we're just here to have fun and uh trying to be friends with everyone right yeah and take it as far as we can take it 
Yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm sure you have you have the same belief in yourself that I do in myself. That dude, yeah. we're fully capable of winning the world a blackboard championship. We're fully capable. If we want to win ADCC, we are fully capable of doing so. If I want to become freaking uh, whatever I want to be in life, then I if I believe I can, I'm going to do it. And that is yeah. like no disparaging to other people. It's not yeah. like. No one else in my division can also win. That's the thing that people like misconstrue. Like, okay, I fought Hudson Mateos. If Hudson won Worlds and then I won Worlds the year after, what am I gonna like? Ha! I'm champion. <laughs> like, no, we were we're both champions. Like we both yeah. did it. Just we just did it on a day. You know what I mean? And jiu-jitsu's not like I mean, you are a defending champion, right? But like if I go to a, a local tournament the day after Worlds and I lose because I busted my ankle or something like that, then I lose. That that guy's not world champion. I'm still world champion. Just yeah. that's the cool thing about having a match. It's not like you're holding a belt and then you're no longer the champ. Like, dude, you won that day. You are 2020 yeah. world champion. Like, people people get so caught up in like I'm defending my title. It's like no, you're not. The title is not yours yet. You are not 2021 world champion. It's not like other sports. It's it's like really that in itself should bring people closer together because like anybody can win on any day. You know what I mean? Look at Metagali. Like he lost to Leandro two tournaments in a row. And Leandro I had the opportunity to talk to him, and he's like, "I will never lose to Metagali as long as I don't, yeah, he, I don't, I keep that grip away." And I was, and then uh, that next tournament, Metagali beat him, and you're like, "Oh well, someone is a victim of their own hubris." <laughs> you know, like <laughs> someone didn't think that maybe there's a possibility he's not the best. You know what I mean? Like. I, I feel like that's a good point that you made, though. Like your your accomplishments in jiu-jitsu, Let's say you win the 2018 World Championships, like at black belt. You're a black belt world champion. That never goes away. It's yeah. like you won it that year. You beat the best in the division that year. So it's not like people. You're always going to be known as a world champion. And you're always going to get respect for that. Would you guys yeah. agree with that? Oh, yeah. for sure. There's a reason yeah. why that IBJJF banner cycles through every world champion there was at Worlds, and you can look up and be like, "Dang, Gabriel Gonzalez is a world champion. I didn't know that." You know what I found out? Mm-hmm. I found out Matt Serra. You, you remember Matt Serra, Connor? Yeah. Okay. Uh, over in New 1999, York. 1999, Brown Belt, IBJJF World Champion. That's awesome. <laughs> At that. lightweight. Did you know that? At lightweight, yeah. Not At lightweight. <laughs> well, no, for sure. Now he's like, you know, pretty heavy dude. But but at lightweight, yeah, he won and also second place at ADCC. So wow. Matt, Matt the Terracera, not only UFC welterweight champion, beat George St. Pierre, last man to ever beat George St. Pierre. Um, also, 1999, well, it was CBJJ back then because it was in Brazil. CBJJ mm. war champion. Crazy. Wow. Oh. He will never lose that title. Still, still world champion that year. So that's the thing, man. We're just, we're just, and that's the cool thing about this podcast, Connor, is like we love having people like you on because you get the goal of community and of like, like people don't like to throw on the word love, right? Because they think, you know, oh, it's soft or maybe mm-hmm. it's reserved for relationships. But relationship, friendship is a relationship. You know what I mean? Yeah. And friendship is very, very important to keep this world running smoothly. Without friendship, there would be chaos. So with this podcast, we're trying to break people down as human beings. Like you're a great mm-hmm. human being who wants to open an academy and lead people to not just do jujitsu. You know what I mean? Not everybody's a competitor. We're just a breed of people who want to do this and make money doing it and have accomplishments. And mm-hmm. there's people who do they, they like there's people like that like are vets. There are people who are veterinarians. There are people who are 
they literally like their job is to clean poop. Like they make it do jujitsu, <laughs> and like that that's just a weird example. But they they do jujitsu, <laughs> and jujitsu is their quote escape, or it's something yeah. they love to do. We're still leading those people. Jujitsu doesn't just stop. Like it doesn't. It's not like competition is all you should do. No, dude. Jujitsu is yeah. a martial art, and you're leading people in there. So that's what we want to do with the open guard cast. It's like, dude, like. Jiu-jitsu is for everybody. It really is for everybody. Yeah. And I know that's a Gracie Baja term, right? That's like the jiu-jitsu is for everybody. Yeah, that's that's something I definitely su- subscribe to is uh, everyone can join jiu-jitsu. I think people make the decision that, hey, this isn't the sport for me, but jiu-jitsu is there if you want it kind of thing. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. I was just thinking of something too, because I feel like, like Jake said, the jiu-jitsu for everyone is like a Gracie Baja thing, and there's a lot of people from all different walks of life who walk into Gracie Baja academies and all jiu-jitsu academies. Mm-hmm. But do, do you feel like even if someone who walks into the school, maybe they only come <laughs> twice a week, they have a full-time job and a family, do you think there's benefits for those types of people to compete as well? Maybe just to like push like some mental limits, or you know, do Definitely. you think it's beneficial for them to to get out and on the competition men push their limits i definitely think that it's important to prepare properly so i wouldn't ever put a student of mine out into competing if they haven't properly prepared because then you're kind of just setting somebody up for failure um and you might you might end up scaring them away from ever competing or or possibly from jiu-jitsu again if it's uh you know uh, bad enough but i definitely think that if somebody wanted to compete I would uh, help them in any way I could to help them prepare, you know, maybe get an extra training in, you know, three days a week is, is, is good for somebody, you know, as a white belt or maybe an adult, you know, master's blue belt, I think. But uh, if, if somebody were just training one day a week, uh, that's going to be tough. But I think com- competition is important at any age, um, especially if you're, if you're masters and you want to compete. And you're like, oh, man, I'm just afraid to going out on those mats. I think it's very important to break through a barrier like that because it's going to help you enjoy and kind of respect the sport more because now you kind of see the other side. You're like, man, I know what these young guys are talking about. It's kind of fun having the eyes on you. Or it could go the other way and you go, yeah, that wasn't for me, but I'm glad I tried, you know? Yep. So one thing I kind of realized during the pandemic, and I'm interested to hear your guys' thoughts on this, but once competitions went away and like I didn't have like a goal, I felt like mm-hmm. a little bit directionless kind of at the beginning. Mm-hmm. So do you feel like that's like another important thing is like you're always striving towards something, you're always progressing. That kind of just I don't know. It just feel I felt like it made my life better in every single way. So I've had to like find new things to to progress towards. But do you feel like that's another benefit of competition for people? Go for it, Jake. Uh, so. My experience, uh, and I've said this on the show before, but I don't know if this will offer you any any wisdom, Connor. But my my like, without knowing it, I was suppressed by so much in my mind and my spirit that like, competition was just consistently something that was in the forefront of my brain, distracting me from all of my own problems and everything that weighed me down. So competition was just something I could look forward to. I trained hard for competition, but I never mm-hmm. focused on anything that I actually like. Like soon I'm gonna need to worry about. Like for instance, competition shut down. I became very depressed. Uh, I, m- a month and a half I couldn't even leave my house really, um, and that was back in March. I just beat uh, Hudson Mateos. I was about to have a match with Roberto, who's number one, mm-hmm. and then pew, everything's gone. And I had to come to terms with 
wow, like the world is going to be weird for a little while, like a longer while than I think. Danny was actually a really uh, great shoulder to lean on and a great friend during that time because he's like, hey, like, think about this. Like, we have the podcast and like we have this that we can do and we can start to work on stuff and like we'll be able to, dude, you can talk to me and stuff like that. And that helped immensely. Um, but like, like four weeks ago, I really came to terms with like stuff that I had been struggling with. And I don't know if you saw my Instagram post kind of talking a little bit about uh, me giving my mm -hmm. life to Jesus fully and um, mm -hmm. fully casting everything into my faith. And dude, that helped so much. And recently I've been working on just kind of improving as a, as a coach and improving like, like my financial structure and learning about the business and learning about how I should take care of my money and take care of myself and yeah. eventually take care of a family. Uh, I'm not, I'm not in a relationship. I'm just thinking about that because, <laughs> again, I'm in my Bible, but, uh, now that like tournaments are kind of looking like we're getting a sneak peek at the world sort of being normal again. I'm able to take this new skill from quarantine and apply it to like maybe the world becoming somewhat a sense of normalcy again. Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of been my experience. Uh, if I'm being honest, the question uh, that you asked originally, I lost it. But I was talking. <laughs> no, uh, you actually did a did a perfect job. I was basically just okay. asking, like, if you felt like losing the competitions and losing those goals as a competitor, like, if that was difficult, and um, like, kind of what adjustments you made to not having those tournaments to shoot for all the time. Yes. Okay. So you, now that I have the skills to work on myself as a person, they're going to translate into my skills working as a competitor, because now I know I have more. I I've found more significance in my life so now i can find all the significance that i should have been finding in competition it's not like competition is all i have whereas before i felt that subconsciously that that was all i had but now i know i have so much more yeah and i agree with jake i think a lot of us competitors kind of looked at competing as a way to um kind of distract ourselves i think you put i think you put it that way uh, because it's something to work towards. It's something to focus on. Um, and when that was taken away, I think there was a huge group of us who didn't have that that positive distraction. I, I think distraction was has a kind of a negative connotation. But I mm -hmm. think um, it was it's been a positive distraction because it's something that, you know, you put your energy towards. It's uh, something constructive. And, and when that was taken away, it, it was very hard for a lot of us. I know that uh, luckily, I was able to then put my my kind of competition efforts into this business, uh, you know, put it into marketing, put it into learning, you know, accounting and accounting software and just all this different business stuff. I was able to put that energy into that. Um, so I've been fortunate that way. And I know that there have been people less fortunate who just have kind of lost their way. And, and hopefully they make their way back to competing because um, I hope everybody just comes back, you know, and we got worlds and Pan Ams and all, all those big tournaments, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's been difficult, but, uh, you know, I think coming back from, I think coming back from COVID will give all of us a sense of, uh, appreciation for Definitely. what competition and what jujitsu does for us. I'm a huge subscriber to the, uh, I get to do things like I get to wake up. I, I get yeah. to, um, I, I get to compete. I get to train. Um, and, and when you have that, that something like that taken away, if you have competition taken away from you, 
you you get to say, hey, I get to at least train, you know, or at least I'm not injured. You know, I, I get to have my health, you know, that kind of stuff where it's like, yeah, you're you're always able to find something positive. And uh, and so that's that's what's helped me throughout these these tough times. That's awesome. So one, one more question for for both of you guys, too. So mm-hmm. I've heard people talk about this a lot, and I personally feel feel this way. I think I heard Mikey Musumeki talking about it recently, too. But do you feel like taking time away from competition where you're not just working your A game kind of allows your jiu-jitsu to get a lot better, too? Because, like, if you're competing every month and, you know, you, you're really successful, let's say, with, like, a specific triangle or whatever, mm. you're probably not going to branch out and try to work on, like, stuff that's completely unrelated to that if it's working in competition. Does that make sense? Do you feel like you're able to broaden your game and work on different techniques that you wouldn't normally be working on if you were competing coming up? Uh, I guess I'll answer first. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay. An overwhelming sense of patience. So here's uh, here's a thing about old Jake Watson, right? Like like previous <laughs> life Jake Watson. Super impatient dude. I don't know if you watch me like at Purple Belt. Uh, I had a run at 2017 Worlds in middleweight. Where I like looking back, I can't even imagine me grappling like that now because I don't like to like expend that much energy. Um, it just was so much. Like I was like I was I was winning by like eight points in a match, and I'm exhausted. And the guy is like really tired too. But I'm still fighting for a submission. I get a submission in the last three seconds. Like why? You don't need to do that. Like dude, <laughs> relax, take a breather. Like the guy's done. Calm down conserve energy i ended up losing because i got tired in the semifinal because i was so exhausted that day um and now looking now the way i've just been trying to approach jiu-jitsu is taking opportunities and looking for opportunities putting myself in a position to capitalize rather than forcing you know what i mean i think jiu-jitsu is like a relationship if you force it it's gonna be kind of hard but if you like look for an opportunity you're patient and you're 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 uh, open-minded then you're gonna have a much easier time approaching your goals so that's what I've just been trying to do. I've been and like yesterday, for instance, uh, what like Friday, I really tried to uh, do deep half guard on a guy who's really good at deep half guard. Now I don't want to generalize, but I think usually people who are good at deep half guard are a little heavier. So uh, <laughs> I did not have an easy time doing deep half guard. I was really really bad at it, and I was like, okay, this is an area of my game I need to improve on. So now for the next week and a half, two weeks, I'll probably be working my deep half guard. Uh, but what, like the big picture I'm trying to get here is I'm just really patient. I'm really having fun with jujitsu again. And, uh, like I haven't been weightlifting very much lately, just trying to focus on like, you know, figuring out everything for moving out. But, um, I feel very, very good about my jujitsu. Like, even if I do things bad, I'm not like, Oh no, I need to be better for a tournament. It's like, Hey, I got time. I can fix this. What about you, Connor? Uh, taking this time. I've, I've always been a guard player. Uh, I don't think that's a secret anymore. Uh, just with the flexibility and the stuff from gymnastics, it's really helped with my guard. Yeah. But, you know, it, going into end of purple belt, uh, beginning of brown belt, I was like, man, I don't want to become a black belt who's only good at guard. So I would say about like two years ago, I really started going, all right, let's start to work that top game. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to stay up on top. I'm not going to pull guard. Um, in training, at least, you know, when you compete, mm-hmm. you go to your A game. But during sure, training, yeah. I, I always focused on maintaining on top, working on my base. And so uh, I guess this time has really just kind of helped uh, 
help that. It, it, it didn't really introduce it because I had already started implementing it, but it's just kind of reinforced what I've already been trying since, uh, since purple belt. Yeah, man. I mean, just think about this. Like once you get your top game, you won't even have to like, like people won't expect it because you already pull guard. You're just mm -hmm. sweet people and then pass their guard. They're going to be like, what? This guy's a top player too. I'm telling <laughs> you, dude, that's the benefit of starting out as a guard player is no one like, as soon as you're like confident in your passing and you really bust it out, it's not like you're just going to all of a sudden, whoa, this guy did a judo throw and ended up on top. Like, no, it's not like that drastic. It's yeah. just like you get to disguise it and kind of slide it in there. I can't yeah. wait. I can't wait to see you just go against like Jonatas and he's going to be like, oh, <laughs> I fought this guard player before. And then you sweep him and pass and you're going to be like, he's going to be like, dang it. <laughs> I, I do look forward to using my top game in, in tournaments and in, uh, in being able to show that and seeing, you know, seeing how much I improve. You know, I'm, I'm sure it's not going to be anywhere near as good as my guard is because I've worked on that for, you know, uh, the past eight years. But, you know, hopefully it's going to be be up there and it's going to turn some heads, you know. Wait, I, I started passing, I think, like two or three years ago um, and I got confident in it, I think, at the beginning of 2020. So it's just like, dude, guard is safe. When you learn guard, you feel great about it. Mm -hmm. But uh, I, I do. I didn't even understand how where to start. I was like, I think someone told me if you approach the top game, like you approach your guard of just being patient and setting up stuff, then you'll probably be better. I was like, oh, my gosh, that is such a simple idea. Why am I yeah. so like, yeah, pfft, why is that so difficult <laughs> to understand? But hey, you know, my brain is uh, my brain is my brain. Don't judge it. <laughs> Connor, were there any uh, like specific challenges you had with being on top? Like, obviously, you you come from a gymnastics background, so you have like a good mm -hmm. amount of strength and balance and stuff like that. But were there any like issues on top that um, like were particularly difficult for you to overcome? So in gymnastics, you're taught to be very light. You know, when you're tumbling, when you're on the pommel horse, when you're on parallel bars, high bar, and you know all these events, you're taught to be light and not heavy. You're supposed to float through the air, float through you know your skills, and just transition from one you know one gymnastics technique to the other. And so when you're on top, you know, looking for a pass or somebody setting up a sweep, it it's kind of just in the back of your head that you should be light. And so even though you have good balance and you're able to use your head, your feet, your arms, your your hands to keep your balance, it you you become very light and it becomes very easy for the person to to at least get you in the air and begin these sweeping positions and finish them. So that's one thing I've been having to fix is keeping my base, keeping a solid base, trying to be heavier than I actually am. Yeah. Jake, do you feel like that's uh, an issue? Because you mentioned that you you always talk about how you worked on passing a little bit later in your career. Was that something that you dealt with as well? Uh, my biggest issue has been my, my strength and my base. So like not necessarily was I taught to not be in good base. I was just, I've just been like, strength has been the biggest struggle of my whole career. Like I remember fighting Kainan and Jonatas and even fighting people like, I remember fighting even Connor and like, and being like, dang, like I don't feel strong. Like I feel like I'm always struggling with strength and being like really disproportionately tall for my weight has always been kind of a struggle too until like I got a little older because I was so tall. I was like Bambi and uh, I was like I was really easily knocked off balance for me. It's just like guard was safe. Guard felt better because I was on my back and like my legs are long. I could use my range. Mm -hmm. Top always felt like I was out of place. Like I never knew where to be with my feet or my balance because I was so tall and lanky and and really weak 
that um, I just struggled with it. But like now that I'm really trying to focus on, like I said, like broadening my jujitsu and really just figuring out my base. Like, dude, I'm not going to grow any taller now. I'm 22. I, or at least I mm. hope, really hope I don't get taller. That would not <laughs> be favorable for me, I think, at this point. Eventually, it just gets kind of ridiculous. Like, dude, stop. But uh, hopefully I grow less vertically, more horizontally. That'd be fantastic. Yeah, I um, think uh, Jake and I have very similar body types. We're both, yeah. you know, fairly lanky. Mm-hmm. Um, and even though we are strong and, you know, we have muscles, of course, it's just it's not comparable to those uh, in, in in our weight classes. You know, I'm not short and stocky like some some lightweights are that are able just to throw me around. And Jake, of course, he's up in the heavyweights, medium heavy, and it's like he's dealing with some big guys. And so I think it's just about learning how to deal with our body types and learning the negative side effects, but also the positive, you know, side effects of our body types. For sure, dude. I remember when I fought Jonatas at Nogi Pans in the final. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was my first Nogi tournament as a black belt or first Nogi Pans, the black belt. And just being like, what the heck? Like this guy is like, <laughs> this guy is like a freaking just a block. And I am yeah. like really tall and I should like with my height, I think if I were to put on like an appropriate athletic amount of muscle, which is relative, but looking like someone how like Jonatas does for lightweight, like I think that's about as big as you can get for lightweight is Jonatas Gracie. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're tall for lightweight and that's like a big yeah. advantage for you. You to lightweight yeah. is me to medium heavyweight. Like I could be super heavy at six foot three. Boucher's yeah. is six foot four and he's ultra heavy. So what is yeah. the only thing preventing me from being like super heavy is just a ra- uh, an irrational amount of weightlifting, I think, at this point. But uh, <laughs> or rational if you use open Garcast 25. But uh, <laughs> that's like the struggle that me and you have to face is, OK, are you willing to put on a bunch of weight and go to middleweight and then deal with people who are cutting? Or are you going to get your game accustomed to dealing with strong guys and get as strong as you can for lightweight? And that's a dilemma I faced for a really long time with middleweight. Yeah. Like when me and you fought a middleweight, dude, that was a consistent struggle. Like I always like cutting like seven pounds, eight pounds sucked for me because I'm already so low body fat that I had exactly. to like, I had to like cut water and that sucks yeah. for competing. Cause then you're like thirsty and you're tired. Yeah. So that, and then eventually I was like, I'm sick of it. I'm just going to fight at 184 pounds with the gi on. And I did that for a while, to be honest. And I did okay. I won some, but it's, yeah. I'm still like I'm still like 187 pounds with the gi on, dude. It's hard to gain weight. It's not fun. Yeah. And when I was competing middle, I was the uh, the exact you know opposite of you. I was coming in at the very bottom. I could eat whatever, but I was just going against these guys that were just way stronger than me. And uh, it was just a decision that I needed to make. Like, hey, I'm gonna go back down to lightweight. I have a hard time putting on weight anyways, which mm-hmm. is, you know, a good thing and a bad thing, depending on how you look at it. But, uh, yeah, it's just about finding where you are and, uh, what fits best for you. Yeah. I feel like that's both of you guys have such valuable experience with, with those types of things, because that's going to help your students eventually. Like if someone has a particular body type or a particular style, you're going to be able to, you know, give them that wisdom that you guys experienced personally. I hope so. For I sure. hope, no, I hope yeah. that. So a big struggle with me was I cut weight when I was like 13 years old. Like I was cutting like like an obscene amount of weight. One time I cut 13 pounds in three days at 14 years old. So yeah, no, exactly. Whoa. And then and then I ended up having to go up weight division, which is, dude, I'm telling you, I haven't been that mad I think ever in my life. But um, <laughs> I uh I was cutting weight for like Arizona State Championships, like like six pounds, and then losing because I was tired. 
And then eventually my uh, my professor got fed up. It's because my you know my parents are very passionate people, and they uh, and they were like thinking that it was the right thing to do because I mean UFC fighters do it, boxers do it. Nothing like my parents aren't malicious people. It was just like what they thought was the right version mm-hmm. of competing. So they yeah. the, my my professor was like, hey, he's not cutting weight for the next one. Watch him win double gold. He's not cutting weight, and then I won double gold, and I was like. Never cut. I haven't mm. cut weight since. So that's why I won't cut weight from middle anymore because I'm like, I remember that memory and I'm like, oh, so cutting weight sucks, dude. It's not good for you. I like one FC. One FC won't let mm. you cut weight. So mm-hmm. if I ever do MMA, which I won't because Danny will let me. But <laughs> so we're coming up on a little bit over an hour of the podcast. So don't want to be respectful of your time. Do you have any uh, anything else you want to talk about in closing, like about your school or about your competition goals, anything like that? Um, nothing too much. Just going to, you know, opening up the Academy, Gracie Baja Santa Rosa up here in uh, Sonoma County, uh, looking to open up in the fall, but you, you, you know how it's going to be with these government regulations. It, it yeah. could be, it could be October. It could be November. It could be early December. Um, and I might just have to push it back to January. Uh, not, not too worried though, because everybody that's reached out, um, and, and contacted me and shown interest, uh, quite a few people. I mean, not as many as, as would have been without this pandemic, but still quite a few people. They've all been very like understanding of the situation and very patient. Um, so I'm not too worried about, you know, uh, uh opening on a specific date, mm-hmm. but, uh, other than the academy, you know, I, I want to go out there and be able to compete alongside my students. Uh, that's that's a connection I, di- I didn't have um, with with my professors. I, I never got to compete alongside them. So that's something that I want to have with my students um, and, and be able to go out there and coach them, go on the mat, and, you know, have them, you know, cheer me on. Well, you know, I'm cheering them on the next minute. So that's a, that's definitely something very cool that I want to be able to do. But uh, it, what's more important than that is building a team first. So I think competing is going to take a little uh, backseat for a second or two. And uh, I've had to come to terms with that because competing had been a big part of my jujitsu. But now I get to compete in a different way. I get to compete to have the best academy, the best students, you know, stuff like that. What if Third Coast Grappling gave you a call? Because I did message him and he did like both of my messages. Oh, So, I mean, you know, until I mean, up until January, when that academy opens, there is a small window for Jake Watson to leverage <laughs> his uh, his voice into. I'm just well, saying. I've I've been putting my uh, my name out there for the various uh, jujitsu promotions during COVID because um, I've maintained my conditioning. Uh, I've maintained, you know, uh, training here and there safely, of course. Uh, so it's not like I'm out of condition. But uh yeah, I, I'm down to compete whatever, um, as long as it's safe. You know, I'm, a, I'm always there to compete and have fun. Well, all right. I will keep that in mind, and I will stay in close contact with you and with Mr. Ryan McGuire to see what they can uh, see what they can cook up. Also, Seth well, Daniels. I'll talk to him, too. Uh, but you. Uh, you can follow Connor Donaldson at ConnorBJJ707 on Instagram, and I highly recommend you do. But Don, not too much, because he has 100 more followers than me. So, you know, keep it, <laughs> 